Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is also available for free in iTunes and at thejazzsession.com. My guest this week is drummer and composer Sonny Jane. He's got a brand new album out called Taboo. And if you're listening to this show on the day it's released or right thereafter, so in other words on June 7th or 8th or 9th or 10th, Sonny has a CD release party on June 10th in New York City at Joe's Pub, which is at uh, 425 Lafayette Street in New York City. And you can visit SonnyJane.com to find out more about the show. So that's uh, June 10th at Joe's Pub. This is the opening track from Taboo. It's a tune called Jack and Jill. guest is Sonny Jane. He's got a brand new record out called Taboo, uh, which is really fantastic. And uh, the second I heard it, I knew I wanted to talk to him about it. Sonny, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Jason. This is one of those records where when I listen to it, and I really enjoy it, but I feel like I'm probably missing like 70% of what's actually going on on the record just because of my lack of, of familiarity with some of the sources of the music. Um, and so I thought maybe... Uh, you could add to my my enjoyment by kind of telling a little bit about you know the origins of this record, what um, what you were going for both compositionally and and kind of thematically with some of the um, the more overt statements that are on the album. Yeah, definitely. I mean, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to check out the music and everything. And you know, if uh, at the end of the day, the first thing is to get people to enjoy it, um, whether the message gets across or not is is okay. But at the end of the day, it is music and want people to to enjoy it and be sucked into it for the sake of the music. Um, but the project started about three years ago um, for various reasons. Uh, at that point in my life, I was just kind of feeling, you know, I have a platform here to speak in terms of, uh, you know, you're playing music, you have an audience in front of you, and oftentimes with the music I had been performing or was a part of, um, Felt like I could do more in terms of uh, in terms of addressing social justice issues or 
you know, just various things that were important in my life, whether politically or, or not. Um, so I kind of delved into this whole project wanting to, to address things that were taboo in South Asian culture, um, notably sexual orientation, uh, the juxtaposition of religions, and uh, the way women are treated over there, whether it's, you know, inequality or the violence that happens and how it's oftentimes accepted or it's just, you know, par for course. Um, and it wasn't just to also draw attention to the South Asian, you know, subcontinent, but to basically have common themes that translate to any culture, any any group, and people in general. Um, so back in 2006 or 2007, can't quite remember, I think it was 07, I, I had uh, gotten this Chamber Music America grant, New Works um, project, where it allowed me to delve into these these various uh, topics of, of discussion and whatnot, and um, headed into it at that point and premiered the pieces like in late 07 or early 08 and kind of shelved the project at that point and just really, um, I don't know, just, just other things started getting busy in my life with, with other groups and, and things like that and just eventually resurrected it this past summer, recorded a CD, put it out on the Brooklyn Jazz Underground Records label, which I'm also part of the collective Brooklyn Jazz Underground, so I was very happy to be able to put it out on this label through, uh, through Grant, uh, through Aaron Copeland Music Fund. Um, and the the pieces are, are very specific in terms of the the initial the initial inspiration was derived from guzzle, which is uh, an ancient poetic form that has its origins in the Arabian Peninsula around I don't know when maybe 10th century maybe even earlier, but eventually made its way to India in, in about in around the 12th century. Um, and oftentimes, or well not oftentimes, the the essence of a guzzle is they're a love poem. But I didn't want to go about it in just a sense of, of creating love poems and putting music to it. I wanted to address, you know, some of these, these set issues that I'd mentioned before, social justice issues. So I utilized uh, writings of, like, modern-day poets and lyricists, um, a friend, Ali Mir, uh, a U.K. writer, Vikram Seth, uh, a very well-known uh, feminist poet, Kishwa Nahid, um, another prominent uh, transsexual, Ifti Nassim, and then an American guzzle writer, Aaron Thomas. So I collected these various bits of lyrics and poems from them and delved into it for about a year just to, you know, I, I've, I grew up listening to some guzzle, you know, through my parents and everything, but never really studied it or, or knew much about it because I didn't necessarily understand the language it was, it was spoken in, which is typically Urdu or Hindi, which is what I'd heard at home. So I spent about close to a year just really listening to different guzzles, trying to get to the essence of it in terms of the the meters of how the poetry w was constructed and whatnot, and just to to understand the phrasing and forms of, of, of various various guzzles. Um, as I was approaching it from there, I started realizing that it was very difficult to address these issues just within the, the strict ranks of, uh, of a guzzle. Um, just because the way it's constructed doesn't leave too much room for for a long elaboration about a certain thing. Um, it's much more metaphorical. So I opened up the whole thing to just basically uh, basically open it up to, to to other 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 poetry forms, and came it came away with pieces that were addressing these issues. You know, like sexual orientation and the, uh, the juxtaposition of religions and 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 women's rights and whatnot. And um, then sat down and had to learn these lyrics because they were in, were doing Hindi, and 
you know, just kind of sat down with him for a while and would sing him to myself and try and see what melodies would come out, um, how the phrasings would work, because you can't really write music until you really know how the words are being delivered and, and the essence of the words and the phrasing and whatnot. I'd never really done it to this degree, so I had to do a lot of prep work before I even sat down to deal with writing melodies and all that stuff, um, just really dealing with the words. And, you know, I had a lot of help from, from Ali. I had a lot of help from uh, Samita Sinha and Atyat Joshi, who are the vocalists also on the album, um, and my parents as well, you know, in terms of just, you know, can you help me pronounce this and how's this flowing and whatnot. Once I got to that point, sat down and constructed each composition based around a specific rog that was emo basically delivering a certain emotion or mood that I wanted to set for the piece. Um, I didn't specifically stay to the rog in terms of uh, the rules that, that a rog has, has built into them, but used it for derivation purposes of extracting chords and harmony, of writing melodies, um, and just putting the feel in, into the composition. Um, and basically what came out was six original pieces and then on the album I put one uh, Jane Budgeon which is a Jane religious song entitled Summer Mantra and just played that as a short little quartet piece with the core quartet of Mark Carey, Near Felder and Gary Wong There's a there's a ton to react to there. Um, one of the yes, no, that's that's totally fine. Um, one of the things, the comments I want to make, I want to uh, kind of go all the way to the beginning of, of what you were just saying, and at, and the end. In the beginning, you said that you know you hope it succeeds kind of just as music without necessarily the um, the social framework being necessary. And certainly, in my opinion, it absolutely succeeds that way. Uh, but one of the things about the the music that um, surprised me particularly after I then went back and started reading the liner notes and, and reading what I could find about the origins of the music, was um, that it does come from these uh, kind of more traditional forms because the music on the record is 
uh, first of all, in many ways, it sounds anything but traditional. And it also sounds right. very diverse from track to track. I mean, you know, uh, Two Ladies, I mean, kind of sounds to me almost like it could have come from an Oliver Nelson record, except maybe more modern. Um, and then, you know, you have you have things that I think draw more obviously on the South Asian influences. So it sounds like you were able to, although you use the rags as... Uh, as a foundation, it sounded like you were able to to go pretty far afield from them in the compositional process. Yeah, definitely, um, definitely did approach it like that. I mean, the, the, like you're saying, there is a social framework to the pieces um, because some of them in Hindi and Urdu, some some folks won't necessarily be able to understand what's being delivered. Um, what I still have to do is I need to get these lyrics up on my website, but I have them up on like a Bandcamp website, um, but. You're absolutely right. I mean, in terms of taking a rog and taking the guzzle, these traditional forms, my intent is not at all to to throw out a very traditional guzzle or a traditional rog in the sense of a of a classical, you know, Hindustani musician or or, or, or a guzzle musician um, or singer. Mainly because that's not really me. That's not my experience. My experience is, you know, having these bits of uh, Indian musical aesthetics. Growing up with them, you know, from from the guzzle, from the religious songs, from classical, from Bollywood, um, and having these sounds always kind of swirling around in my head. But then I also fell in love with the sound of jazz at like age thirteen. Um, so while they were a point, you know, springboard for inspiration, I did not want at all, you know, I, I wanted to try and adhere as much as I could to my knowledge and to my ability to the tradition, but I also did not want to attempt to replicate a tradition that wasn't necessarily me musically. You know, I I was born in America and, you know, I'm an Indian American that had a variety of sounds coming through me to, to influence me. Um, so, you know, it, it's funny because Two Ladies, it is definitely very bluesy sounding, um, but that's the one piece on the whole album that's an actual guzzle that's actual follows the correct form of guzzle and is like pure guzzle um and i had a, a very interesting time just composing that because the way the words were sitting and everything i you know i wasn't intentionally trying to write in five four or six four or anything or whatever it's just i had to in terms of the way the words were sitting um and i actually composed that in a in a rog called jog j-o-j-o-g uh, which is a very bluesy rog, um, and it stays pretty much in there, and even the chord you extract from it, you know, it's directly from the rog. So, you know, while I'm using that as inspiration, you typically, within rog form, you know, you don't have harmony coming in. Um, so that's something I'm trying to introduce, whether it's through the rog, extracting of clusters from rog, or it's imposing typical jazz harmony or western harmony on... on uh, on a on an you know an Indian modality or something.
any um any trepidation at all about using kind of traditional song forms to address progressive social issues um not so much i mean i feel like the the lyricists and poets i got are very progressive as is and they were 100 behind this project um i think when you when you're addressing things like that naturally you're already a liberal-minded person that you're not necessarily worried about oh no i'm taking this traditional form and what are people going to think if i'm doing this or that i mean at the end of the day it's you know like i said in the beginning it's it's music um and i think you know i, th- I think a guzzle finger wouldn't hear any of the inspiration that i'm talking about you know i don't think they would necessarily hear that um but yeah i don't know i didn't i didn't necessarily think about it like that if anything i thought this is going to be interesting because I'm addressing things like sexual orientation and whatnot and, you know, how are people going to take this and how are they going to react and what are they going to think of me? I mean, my opening track is uh, a piece called Jack and Jill where it's uh, addressing, you know, is it better to be gay or straight and, you know, questioning one's sexuality or whatnot. And I was opening, I opened up the album with that simply just, it was a powerful message, but it was also musically I just felt like it needed. A, I just felt like that album needed to open with that, and I thought for a second, I wonder what people are going to listen to this and think about me and my sexual orientation, you know. And and you know, I, I didn't really care, you know. I mean, I am what I am. I'm heterosexual, but it's like it didn't really feel like, oh, I need to worry about this because of uh, the statements and the words within within the song. This album is one of those. There, there are all kinds of ways that people end up, you know, on the on the jazz session, whether through the work of promoters or labels or just relationships that I've already got. And then there are some people who you just put the album in and on the first track, you know, you look up their email address, <laughs> you can schedule the interview. And this is one of those <laughs> records where, you know, from the second it started playing, I thought, all right, this is one that I need to, I need to explore. Um, oh, and uh, yeah, you're welcome. I, one of the things I like most about it um, is actually the, um, the kind of socially progressive aspect. And I wonder, do you feel like there's, it seems to me, and I think I might have a maybe a, a constrained view, but I think of albums like In What Language um, that Vijay Iyer did a couple of years ago, and uh, it seems like there's some kind of um, a, a slightly more emergent South Asian uh, consciousness in improvised music, um, kind of political consciousness. Is that just something I'm making up, or do you think there's there's some of that that's that's happening in the jazz world? You know, I, I, I couldn't I, I I couldn't say one way or the other. I mean, I just know from from where I was coming from, it was just like at that point in my life, I was just feeling like, you know, 
I, I want to address things that are important to me. And um, the whole reason I got into playing music was to connect with an audience. And when I was continuing to perform and and or go see uh, other friends play and just seeing the jazz audience slowly dwindle, um, it started making me feel like, well, this is, you know, this doesn't make any sense. I, I almost feel like I'm just showing up to a gig to get my rocks off. And, like, that's, that doesn't make any sense to me. That's not why I got into music. Um, and it was, re- I mean, that was really the motivation behind getting into something that meant something to me, uh, you know, speaking something on a social or political level. Um, but, I, you know, I, I couldn't necessarily say, I mean, you know, I know uh, that, you know, that album had come out, but I've, I've actually never checked it out, and, and I'm not really familiar with, with what the, I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with what Vijay and Rudresh and Rez and other South Asians are doing, but I'm not so familiar in terms of if they're doing political or social statements necessarily. I know definitely, you know, uh, Vijay and Mike Ladd, you know, naturally are doing doing things like that, but I'm not hip to the other stuff maybe if there is other stuff happening. Sure, f- fair enough. And uh, I certainly don't yeah. in any way intend to suggest that, you know, any more than five guys from Detroit all play the same kind of music, <laughs> that because you share some kind of oh, ethnic yeah, heritage right, right. that there's any kind of... Uh, inherent connection other than that um, right right uh, would you you mentioned them briefly but would you talk about uh, the, the kind of core band of instrumentalists uh, who are on this record yeah it's uh, Mark Carey on piano uh, Nir Felder on guitar and Gary Wong on acoustic bass um, Gary I met when I was like 18 and uh, we've been playing ever since I mean I guess yeah now for the last 17 years and uh, it's like my number one call bass player he just anticipates me feeds me stuff, feeds off of me. It's just, it's a perfect symbiotic relationship. Um, I mean, he's he's just a guy I always go to. I uh, just love playing with him, and he's a strong player and just gives a lot of support, but also knows when to shine when he needs to shine. Um, and then uh, Nir, I actually met, God, how many years ago was it? It might have been eight years. I mean, he, he reminded me, me of this. I, I didn't even remember it, but I guess he was an intern at a summer workshop that I used to teach at called National Guitar Workshop in Connecticut, and he might have been 16 or 17 at the time or something like that. I don't even know. When I met him in New York and we were doing a session, he reminded me of it, and I didn't really have a recollection of it, but uh, we've been playing together now for the last year or year and a half or so. Um, Great musician, you know, just coming at the guitar from a completely different perspective, you know, has no qualms of walking out and just throwing on some great effects, which is what I love about his playing, but he's also a, a well-versed jazz musician and blues player, um, so he knows, he knows the languages, but he's, he's just an amazing open player. Um, and Mark, Mark I met just a couple of years ago as well. Um, you know, I mean, everyone knows who Mark Carey is. He's just a phenomenal piano player, and, and he plays the instrument like, like a percussionist or something. You know, I mean, to me, it's I always find myself drawn to piano players that you actually used to play drums before, and I didn't realize it. Like for the first six months, I was playing with Mark, and I found out he actually plays drums, and he's actually a wicked drummer. Um, but he's, you know, he brings that. I don't know. He makes me play in a whole different way that I've never really played before, and I really enjoy playing with him for that. He just uh, the band sound like a fire under my tail, and just I just go for other things that I'm not used to going for, and. You know, I'm not thinking about it all. It's just after the gig, it's like, dang, you know, like, what was that? <laughs> um, but yeah, he's, you know, so so this is this is like the latest quartet I've been working with, and uh, 
just really enjoying it. You know, the combination of Mark and Nier is, is really fantastic. Um, having that acoustic piano sound and the electro sound of, of the guitar and just in the, in, in the different ways it travels and makes its journey through the music and the way those guys hear and react to stuff is just amazing. Yeah, and they complement each other so well. I mean, there's a lot of, of kind of long, you know, flowing lines on this record, sometimes at, at very high speeds and sometimes not. And the way that they that they play off one another and kind of weave in and out is is really gorgeous. Just two fantastic yeah. players. Yeah. Was there a learning curve for the musicians uh, on this record, having to familiarize themselves with some of the source material? Um, you know, Mark's, Mark's kind of been doing some of this stuff with his uh, focus trio. He has a great drummer, Samir Gupta, in that group, which uh, they fuse tabla and, and, and drum set and, and, some of the, and some of the rocks. And he also works with Samita in a group, uh, Samita Sinha, with a group called Anatomy. So he's, he's already kind of checked out some of the stuff. Um, I don't know how much near had, but I wasn't necessarily worried or concerned whether they were coming from an Indian background or a jazz background or this and that. I just knew that this quartet was gelling together nicely. Um, but we did we did spend time learning the material. It was it was pretty demanding, you know. Um, but those guys those guys just nailed it um, and really stepped up and just delivered, you know the best recording I could have asked for. We just recently did a, a digital release party at the Jazz Gallery, and we hadn't played in, I don't know, six or eight months or something, did one rehearsal, and uh, <laughs> kind of remember just how challenging the music was, you know, um, to relearn and just to get in there. But then, you know, the Jazz Gallery gig went down really great. And uh, for folks who are listening to this kind of in, in real time, so to speak, it's going to be released on June 7th, which means later this week uh, there's going to be a release party at Joe's Pub too, right? Yeah, exactly. There'll be a CD release, like an actual physical CD release party on uh, 
Thursday, June 10th at Joe's Pub at 10 p.m. Cool. So if you're listening to this uh, on Monday, June 7th, which is not when we're recording it, but if that's when you're hearing it, uh, in three days you should be down at Joe's Pub uh, checking this music out live. Um, there are uh, many uh, vocalists who contribute to the album. Uh, how did you go about kind of choosing who was going to be on the record? Did you have prior relationships with some of the people, for example? Yeah, pretty much all of them uh, I've known. There was just one spoken word artist who's the very first track, uh, Yalani Dream, who I wasn't familiar with before, and... Um, I was calling up another friend to do the spoken word part, and he quickly suggested that I call Yalani up, said she would nail it, she's the person for you. Uh, called her up and, you know, said this is what I'm looking to do. She came into the studio literally for five minutes and nailed it. <laughs> you know, just true spoken word artist, true... She, she, she actually is a performing artist, does, does a variety of things from dance, acrobatic to spoken word, um acting, a little bit of everything. She's really just a, an amazing, creative person. And then um, Soto Valtandani, I've, I've known for years. Um, I think he was actually one of the very first uh, fellow South Asians that I met in New York when I moved here or something when we were at uh, Cleopatra's Needle Jam Session. And uh, so I met him over there, and we actually used to live a couple buildings away from each other uptown. And... Um, Shayna Steele is also on the album, fantastic singer who I've known for, for several years and have played on and off with uh, with her jazz group and a little bit in her R&B group some years ago. And this is the first opportunity I had to, to have her work in, in a product that I was doing, and she knocked it out of the park as well, And as did Suchel, of course. I, shouldn't, I should definitely say that. Um, and Samita Sinha, Shifo Karhade, and Achit Joshi, they're all the, you know, the... Um, the Hindustani vocal vocalists on it. Sheetal, actually, I, I just met two uh, just a few weeks before the recording. Um, there was supposed to be another vocalist who will go unnamed on the uh, album that basically disappeared. Um, and then Sheetal came highly recommended through uh, Samir Chatterjee, who is a who's probably most people know is a great tabla player and teacher. Lives in New York, and um, I studied a little bit with him, you know, and some years ago, and then played with him in the Sufi rock group called Janoon. So I called up Samirji, and he said, you know, you should, you should get Sheetal. She's, she's fantastic. And she took hold of the reins and within two weeks came into the studio and just nailed it. I was blown away by just how she picked up the material and just how demanding it is and how she just delivered it. Um, and Achit and Samita I've known for several years. Um, I've worked with them previously in, in some of my other projects, and they did a fantastic job also. Samita I've been working with since about 2006. Uh, she's on one of my previous albums of Oz as well. And then um, I've, I've done other projects with her, some of her own projects. Um, but, yeah, so there's there's a wide array of, of vocalists on there. And just as you would mentioned earlier, like each tune is very specific and has a different vibe to it. Um, and I purposely wanted it like that. Like if you'll notice on the album, most of the tracks are eight minutes or longer. Um, and I really just intended to do that. I wanted each song to be a journey into itself. Well, you certainly succeeded. Uh, I love this record. My guest is Sunny Jane. The album is called Taboo. It's on the Brooklyn Jazz Underground record label, and uh, links to the album and to uh, Sunny's website will be at thejazzsession.com. And then don't forget, if you're listening to this uh, right around the time that this show is released on uh, June 10th, there's a CD release party at Joe's Pub on uh, Lafayette in New York City. So if you can get there, get out and support this uh, this great music. Sunny, it's been such a pleasure uh, talking to you and, uh, and listening to this music, and I hope we'll get a chance to talk again. Hey, thanks, Jason. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, again, thank you so much for, for doing the music. Really appreciate it.
That was music from Sonny Jane and his new album, Taboo. Don't forget, Sonny's got a CD release party on June 10th, uh, 2010, if you're listening to this in real time. June 10th, 2010 at Joe's Pub, 425 Lafayette Street in New York City. And you can find out more at SonnyJane.com. And if you're not home or something, to write that down. Just go to the show notes at thejazzsession.com and you'll find it there. Speaking of which, this is, in fact, The Jazz Session. I am, in fact, Jason Crane, and this show is, in fact, presented by All About Jazz, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is archived for all eternity in iTunes and at thejazzsession.com, where you'll also find Amazon links to purchase the music you hear on the show, as well as a donate button if you feel like the show has given something to you and you would like to give something back. That's a secure and fast way to do it. My thanks to the Respect Sextet, who did the theme music for the program. You'll find them online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the show's logo. Thanks so much for listening. Please go out and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session.
for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.